Welcome to Everything Pro Wrestling. Everything Pro Wrestling is a show by the fans for the fans. And I am your host, Conrad Cushman, and we bring you a very special episode on the podcast today reviewing WrestleMania 8. WrestleMania 8 is a WrestleMania that I hold near and dear to my heart for special reasons that we'll go over throughout this show. You guys sit back and enjoy. Well, guys, I want to give you all the details of this event beforehand, so let's talk about it. The runtime for this event is about 2 hours and 45 minutes. It took place on April 5th in 1992. The arena was the Hoosier Dome in Indianapolis, Indiana. The attendance was about 62,127. On commentary, we had the tremendous team of Gorilla Monsoon and Bobby the Brain Heenan. Our ring announcer was Howard Finkel. In interviewing, we had Mean Gene Okerlund and Sean Mooney for this great event. All right, guys, now that we know the event details, I want to break down how I structure my reviews. Basically, I'm going to go through match by match, segment by segment, exactly how this card happened for WrestleMania 8. And I'm following the WWE Network's format for it. So however they had it, that's exactly what I watched. Now, afterwards, I'm going to give grades on each of the matches and basically explain what I liked, what I didn't like, and everything else. So if you guys want, let's get right into this WrestleMania 8 review. The year is 1992, and I remember asking my parents if I could see WrestleMania 8 because this was a must-see event for me. And I thought so many of the matches were great. One of my future favorite wrestlers were going to be on the card. And I just thought this card looked incredible. And I am very happy that my parents ordered me my very first pay-per-view. And I can distinctly remember my father ordering it for me. And that's a special memory that I will always hold dearly to my heart. So not only did my father order the event for me, but he also watched it with me. So that made it just as special. Now, I can remember my mother bought me all the wrestling action figures back in the day, and it was really so cool to have those around. And when I first watched this event, we watched it live, and nothing else was going on, just me watching the event. But I also remember recording it on a VCR. My dad set it up, helped me record it, and then I remember going back and watching this over and over and over again with me actually sitting down with my action figures, the Hasbro ones at the time, and redoing all of the matches and acting them out. And this probably explains a lot of my wrestling fandom today. So I just had to thank both my parents for this. And I know Mother's Day is coming up this Sunday. So this is the perfect opportunity to tell my mother I love her. And I appreciate her because this made me a big, big wrestling fan because of this event. WrestleMania 8 kicks off with Reba McIntyre singing the national anthem. Now, before I get ahead of myself, I do want to mention this. Bobby the Brain Heenan and Gorilla Monsoon are absolutely great on commentary. These two have instant chemistry, and they are one of the best duos in pro wrestling to ever do it. I hold three commentary teams in high regards, and it's Bobby the Brain Heenan and Gorilla Monsoon, Jim Ross and the King, and Vince McMahon and Jesse Ventura. Those are some of the best commentary teams that I think I've ever heard. Now, Gorilla Monsoon and Bobby the Brain Heenan really shined on this show. I think their best show was still the Royal Rumble 1992, but this show has to be right up there with it. And you'll hear puns throughout the show and things that they said. I won't mention it in every card, but if you go back and watch this, I highly recommend that you listen to the commentary as well because it's downright excellent. 
the first match to open up the card for WrestleMania 8 is the El Matador Tito Santana versus Shawn Michaels with Sherry Martel. Now, with this match, in the very beginning, Reba McIntyre is exiting the ring, and Bobby Heenan's on commentary, and he tells, hey, Gorilla, uh, did you know that that's Tito's sister? And he's like, that's not Tito's sister. They don't even look anything alike. And he said, yeah, it's a Reba McIntyre. And you know Gorilla Monsoon with the will you stop, and it's just a funny moment to me. Uh, you can't say stuff like that today, but Bobby the Brain Heenan just puts a smile on my face. I just remember hearing that as a kid. I'm like, man, this guy's so silly. Um, now, when I break down this match, a lot of people will say it's very old school, and you have to put that in perspective if you're going back to watch this and how they worked matches back then. But I think this was a great showing for Shawn Michaels, and it was a way to elevate him and put him over. Uh, the matches worked with Tito Santana putting Shawn Michaels in lots of headlocks and attempting pinfalls from the headlocks. And Shawn Michaels goes outside. He gets all the classic heat, arguing, going with Sherry. You think Sherry would interfere in the match more? Not at all. Now, the finish to the match here is basically... He's trying to do a body slam from the apron into the ring, and Shawn Michaels counters that and falls on top of Tito Santana and gets the pin. One, two, three. Sounds like a very boring match, but if you see Shawn Michaels selling throughout this match from the flying forearms and the punches and the atomic drops, you can see something special in Shawn Michaels from the way he sells. And you didn't know, but years to come, Shawn Michaels was going to do something great at WrestleMania, and this was just the beginning of it. Overall, I gave this a grade of a B-, but excellent match in my opinion and a great opener for WrestleMania. I was very happy to see Shawn Michaels pick up that win as Shawn Michaels was one of my favorite wrestlers and he was recently removed from Marty Jannetty at the time. So after watching this match, even as a kid, you could tell who the future superstars are and I saw Shawn Michaels only being elevated up to the mid-card level. Next. We get into Mean Gene Okerlund, and he's interviewing the Legion of Doom. And this is basically a classic LOD promo with hawks screaming, animals screaming, and they introduce their manager, Precious Paul Ellering. Now, supposedly the reason Legion of Doom wasn't on the card at the time was because of a drug violation that Hawk was suspended for. And nobody knows if that's 100% accurate, but that's what is being told. And you'll see why, because in the tag team match, I think they missed a true opportunity with Legion of Doom here. And we'll get into that when we get to that match. But overall, good interview, and I was very impressed with Legion of Doom's mic work. Second match on the card, guys. Jake the Snake Roberts versus The Undertaker. Now, before the match, uh, Sean Mooney interviews Jake the Snake. And it basically is to establish some of the things that you may wonder what's going on in the match. Number one, when Jake the Snake makes his entrance, there are no snakes. Well, it was explained beforehand that there are no snakes ringside due to when Jake the Snake attacked Macho Man with the King Cobra. And Macho Man got bit and he was bleeding. So they still carried over storylines back then, which is something I'd like to see today. So Jake the Snake was not allowed to have any reptiles ringside. And I think they were all banned from the WWF, if I'm not mistaken. Now, throughout this match, it's very basic, and I just remember seeing a lot of plain things, but Jake the Snake still tried to put some psychology behind it. Uh, he gave The Undertaker his short arm clothesline, which is one of his signature moves, and several DDTs. Now, he DDTed The Undertaker twice, but never pinned him in it, but 
Undertaker, I wouldn't say he no-sold it, but he basically did his gimmick where he sits up and everything else. The match ends when Jake the Snake turns his attention to Paul Bear, who is on the outside, and the Undertaker makes the save on Paul Bear after Jake starts hitting on him, and he tombstones Jake the Snake Roberts on the outside. He puts him in the ring and gets the pinfall, one, two, three. And if you guys care to know, this is when the Undertaker streak went two and oh. Now, what happens after the match is kind of weird. Here's some backstage stuff. This is where Jake the Snake Roberts actually will hold Vince McMahon up for some more money before he made his way to WCW by the end of the year. And it's just a sad moment because Jake the Snake Roberts left, and this was the last time we saw him in his prime in the WWE, which was the WWF at the time. And overall, this match, Jake did his best with it for what they were trying to do. And this match also established a future star in The Undertaker, who was working excellent as a babyface in this match. And this match leads to the grade of a C. It was okay, kind of what I expected, but a good win for The Undertaker. We take it backstage where Mean Gene is interviewing Rowdy Roddy Piper and Bret the Hitman Hart before their Intercontinental title match. And this interview starts off kind of silly and goofy where Roddy Piper is talking about things of Bret Hart being a kid. And he's also bringing up things like Bret Hart's mother making them sandwiches. Maybe it was in the dungeon. I'm not sure. But, um, you know, Roddy Piper's promos get a little goofy sometimes. And Bret Hart turns into a serious thing like he's not laughing. He's not playing. He wants the Intercontinental title. And Piper gets heated, too. And I like it when the temper started to flare between them in the interview. They got serious. And I like it. Now, quick backstory on this title match. Bret the Hitman Hart faced the Mountie in late 91, early 92, and Bret Hart lost the Intercontinental title to the Mountie due to him being sick was the storyline. Bret went to a match not feeling well, and he lost to the Mountie. And he was supposed to get a rematch at the 1992 Royal Rumble, but Bret was still too sick to do this. Why this all happened? He was negotiating a contract with WCW, and he had to re-sign with WWF at the time, or at least give Vince that handshake deal to make sure he was staying with the WWF. Now, Roddy Piper steps in his place and he becomes the Intercontinental Champion. And him winning a title is something that Piper even said later on in interviews that he never wanted to do and he didn't expect it to happen. But I found it very cool to see Roddy Piper get this short title run here. And we're going to talk about exactly what happens in this match right now. Brett the Hitman Hart versus Rowdy Roddy Piper for the Intercontinental title at WrestleMania 8. Now first, let me talk about this. I miss announcers talking about strategy. Bobby the Brain Heenan and Gorilla Monsoon were on point. These guys actually talked about what both guys needed to do to win this match. And I like that and I miss that in wrestling. And even Bobby the Brain Heenan did get a little goofy at times. But he was actually being funny so it was okay. Next. We talk about this match being great, but the reason I love this match so much is because of the psychology behind it, and we'll get into it. I'm going to explain some of my favorite spots in this match right now. So early on in the match, Roddy Piper is teasing a lot of heel stuff, and basically he goes for a go-behind takedown on Bret Hart, and then Bret the Hitman Hart gets Piper out on the floor. Roddy Piper gets frustrated, and he goes right back in the ring and gets in Bret Hart's face, which basically is his character. That's who Roddy Piper was. And Bret Hart shoves him out of his face because no one wants someone in their face, and Roddy Piper does a disgusting act and spits on Bret the Hitman Hart. 
Now, Bret Hart, being a babyface with great technical wrestling throughout the rest of the match, he is shoots Roddy Piper off the ropes, and he gives him a drop kick. And Bret Hart ends up holding his shoulder, and Piper's checking on him as he's a little bit concerned, like, oh, is Bret okay? And at the time, Piper is a babyface as well, so you're surprised when you're seeing him do these heel things. But he's showing concern for Bret, and Bret fakes an injury and tries to roll Piper up. That angers Piper so much that he gets right up and slaps Bret the Hitman Hart right across the face. And Piper looked pissed after. Um, this winds up blurring the lines of who's face and who's heel in this match for a little bit. Now, this is going to play into the finish later on in the match. And basically what happens is a great spot here, which Bret Hart explains later on in some of his um, shoot interviews that Vince McMahon wasn't able to tell this. And I don't know if it's true. This is Bret Hart's account on it. But Piper ends up holding the ropes open while Bret Hart gets thrown to the floor. Bret Hart gets in the ring, and the ref says something to Bret, like, check your boot, check your boots to make sure they're tied. And when Bret bends down in a stupid baby face move, Piper clobbers him and basically waffles him in the face with a fist. And Bret the Hitman Hart is bleeding after that. And Bret, said, Bret the Hitman Hart, I'm sorry, said he did a blade job for this. And Vince and no one else could tell. I don't know if that's true, but... It was an excellent spot to get some blood into the match, which was, I think it intensified this match, in my opinion, and made for some good stuff here. Now, the finish is here. They basically wind up trading punches, and Bret the Hitman Hart puts Roddy Piper in a headlock. And he basically is shot into the ref, and you get a classic ref bump. And they make their way to the floor, and Piper throws Bret Hart hard into the steel steps. Now, Piper is sitting there and puts him back into the ring, but he immediately goes over and grabs the ring bell, something we don't see enough of today. So Piper throws the ring bell in the ring, and he comes into the ring, and he wants to clobber Bret the Hitman Hart with it, and Bobby Heenan's telling him, yes, go ahead, waffle Bret the Hitman Hart with it. He deserves it. Do it, Piper. Do it. And Gorilla Monsoon and the fans are like, no, don't do it. And after a while... You see these great visuals of Piper holding the bell up, wondering what he's going to do, and Piper listens to the fans and throws the bell to the side. Now, after that, Roddy Piper gets into a little bit of a, a quick fight with him. I think Brett misses a clothesline or a move, and Piper puts him in a sleeper hold. And the ref is starting to move around a little bit, and Brett's looking for a way out. Well, Brett goes over to the corner, and this is the first time I ever saw this spot. Brett the Hitman Hart pushes his feet off of the top turnbuckle and basically goes into that pinfall that we always see when someone's holding on to a sleeper hold and he's on top of Piper and you hear the one, two, three, and we get a new intercontinental champion. And I'm not going to lie. In my opinion, this was match of the night. I give this match a grade of an A. It was good to see Piper with the IC title. Piper passed the torch to Bret the Hitman Hart and this match elevated Bret the Hitman Hart to a higher status, I think, than the Intercontinental title. I think this is where it started for me. And when I realized Bret the Hitman Hart was main event ready, and we would find out by the end of the year if he really was or not. <laughs> oh, man. So, after Bret Hart and Roddy Piper celebrate, and they do the babyface stuff with Piper giving him the belt, picking him up, they walk out together. Piper's calling for a towel for Bret because he was bleeding. Great babyface moment. We go to where Bobby the Brain Heenan and Gorilla Monsoon are doing their announcing. 
And this turns into an interview for the World Bodybuilding Federation, which was something that Vince McMahon owned, and it also failed like the XFL. Now, Lex Luger was being interviewed from his home in Atlanta, and Lex Luger is basically giving his uh, egotistical look at who he is, how his body looks. This is basically a wrestling promo setting him up for coming in later in the year. So Lex Luger gives his promo, and I don't know. It, you could just tell that this wasn't going to be a good thing, the World Bodybuilding Federation, and it's very sad. And not only that, but we get um, an interview backstage for an eight-man tag match, and a lot of different guys give their thoughts throughout the match. It's a classic, like, 80s promo, truthfully. And we'll break down the match right after this. Okay, guys, the eight-man tag. This match consisted of the Mountie, the Repo Man, and the Nasty Boys versus the Big Boss Man, Virgil, Sergeant Slaughter, and Hacksaw Jim Duggan. There was a special guest ring announcer for this match, and it was Ray Combs. He was the host of the Family Feud during the time, and he does some comedy in the match. Now, when he's making the announcements for the heels, he basically throws some jabs at them and ribs on them a little bit, and... The Mountie, Repo Man, and Nasty Boys didn't like it at all, and the Babyfaces come in and make the save. Now, this match is a slow match with a lot of typical spots for all of the Babyfaces. And the finish comes when Sag tries to hit Virgil with a mask that he was wearing because of an injury angle that they did with Sid and the Jobber. Virgil had a mask on to protect his nose. Sags grabs the mask and tries to hit Virgil with it, but Virgil moves out of the way and he hits Knobs and knocks him down. The Babyfaces clear the ring. And Virgil gets the pinfall. One, two, three. This match is a grade of a C minus. Not good. Okay. It did what it was supposed to do. So I can't really be too mad and complain about it. On to the next match. Next, we go backstage to see a promo being cut by Woo, the Nature Boy, Ric Flair. And he is promising to reveal Miss Elizabeth's centerfold. Now, Mean Gene also attempts to get an interview with Macho Man who is refusing interviews because he's so angry by what Ric Flair has been saying, and he's ready to go out there and handle business. Macho Man Randy Savage versus Ric Flair with Mr. Perfect for the WWF title. Now, some things that I noticed immediately in this match that you guys will too is Bobby the Brain Heenan favors Ric Flair throughout all of his commentary, and you may be wondering why. Well, some backstory is Bobby the Brain Heenan was also like Mr. Perfect for Ric Flair. He was a manager for him. So Bobby the Brain Heenan always celebrated with them, and he always made his way around, and he was kind of biased on commentary for Ric Flair. You're also going to wonder during Macho Man's entrance, where is Miss Elizabeth? You'll find out later. Now, Macho Man Randy Savage does something that I absolutely love in this match. During his entrance, he used to uh, come out and he would do all the looking around, spinning in circles, showing off his outfit. Well, in this match, because of it being such a personal feud, the Macho Man Randy Savage ran to the ring, and he basically went in to attack Ric Flair because this is such a heated issue, and I love that. Good psychology by the Macho Man throughout this entire match. Now, the Macho Man Randy Savage, I remember in this match, took a crazy back body drop over the top rope for Ric Flair. Is one of the spots that I remember. And I also remember Ric Flair getting busted open after an axe handle, and I believe he hit his head on the guardrail. Um, Flair was caught blading during this, and I think Vince McMahon was upset with him after it. But 
who cares? It's Ric Flair. He bleeds when he sneezes in all of his matches if you watch any of his old WCW or NWA stuff. So the Macho Man looks like he's finally about to get Flair in the ring. He's got him in a, a bad position. He's going up to the top rope to hit his flying elbow drop. And the ref counts one, two. Mr. Perfect interferes, pulling Macho Man off. And, of course, Earl Hebner didn't see it. So Earl's getting in between them. And he basically has Mr. Perfect by his tie trying to choke him. And Mr. Perfect throws a foreign object, which looked like some type of brass knuckles to Ric Flair. And Ric Flair nails Macho Man with it. And one, two, the Macho Man kicks out, which you didn't see a lot of back in these days. So it was very surprising to see that. Now, after this spot, Miss Elizabeth starts running out and she wants to come out to be in Savage's corner. Now, you see three guys trying to stop her. I don't know who one of them are, but I know that we see Dave Hebner and a young Shane McMahon coming out to try to stop Miss Elizabeth. So, very cool to see Shane, if you guys have never seen him in his younger days in the WWF. So, make sure you check it out. Now, Ric Flair ends up getting into the ring, and he applies figure four leg lock on the Macho Man. And he's got it locked in, and he's getting help from Mr. Perfect, holding his hands, helping him hold the ropes, whatever it may be. Savage ends up reversing the figure four leg lock, and the ref does the whole spot where, you know, Perfect's trying to help Flair not get turned over. The ref kicks his hand. They turn it over. Flair lets it go. And the Macho Man is hopping around on one leg, and Flair is basically trying to beat him down. Now, while he's down, Mr. Perfect grabs a chair and hits Macho Man in his bad left knee. And that's basically doing an injury to the knee. And this is going to play into the finish that I'm going to talk about right now. The finish is Ric Flair gives Macho Man a knee breaker while holding on to Savage's leg. And Savage is sitting there hopping on it. And Ric Flair attempts a punch but gets blocked by Savage. And Savage ends up turning Flair around and hits a roll-up with a handful of tights. One, two, three. The Macho Man Randy Savage becomes the new World Wrestling Federation champion. And it was very cool to see this moment because... After the match, Ric Flair starts arguing with Miss Elizabeth, and he goes up to her, and his face is bleeding, and he basically gives her a bloody kiss. That's freaking disgusting, in my opinion. But Elizabeth slaps Ric Flair across the face, and after that, what would happen? Even though you just won the title, if someone did that to your wife, Macho Man Randy Savage loses his mind and starts attacking Ric Flair. And while the officials are in there trying to break up the chaos... Flair and Mr. Perfect come in, and they start stomping on Macho Man's legs, and the officials are trying to break it up, and Savage can't get to them, really, because he's being held back by so many officials. And he then gets in the ring, and he just decides to celebrate with Elizabeth, which I thought was so cool. So they're in there, and they get the fireworks. They have the music playing, and it gives you kind of chills of WrestleMania four. So I thought this was so cool for Macho Man to get a second world title reign, and he deserved it. Um, I'll talk more at the end about this match. Now, I love this match for a few reasons here. I gave it a gray of an A-, minus, and here's why. At the 1992 Royal Rumble, Ric Flair put on a tremendous performance, and they told kind of a cool story leading up to this, but it wasn't exactly the story I wanted, and you'll hear more about that later. Now, I felt that this match out of all of them should have been in the main event spot because of the WWF title being on the line, but... No matter what, they did a good job with this. Now, after the match, 
we get Flair Perfect and Bobby the Brain Heenan complaining about the Macho Man cheating with a handful of trunks. Lots of complaints, even though they cheated a million times during the match, which was the psychology back then that was understood. And you just knew, okay, this is why this happened, because they cheated so many times. Macho Man basically had to do the same thing. Cool. And then you get backstage, and the Macho Man Randy Savage cuts an insane promo on them. And he does a great job ripping his shirt and looking crazy. And the Macho Man says this still isn't over, even though he beat him. So good promos by both guys after the match, and I thought they did a tremendous job with it. Now, you know I got another funny story for you guys if you ever want to go back and rewatch this event. So you get a recap of, like, the press conference between Hogan and Sid and some of the lead-up to their match. And they show Sid on the barbershop. <laughs> and if you've never seen this, Sid basically threatens to rearrange Brutus the Barber Beefcake's face, who had just had his boating accident. Now, after him saying that, Sid goes to grab a chair, and he puts it through the barbershop window. That chair was basically used like it was Marty Jannetty. He knocks all the glass down, and he goes over to the side where basically it's got the uh, shelving for a barbershop, and he knocks over all the stuff. Well, one of the cans of shaving cream that Sid hit pops open and basically sprays him all in the face and only sid justice or psycho sid whatever you want to call him would do something like that and it's just a funny moment this is the same guy who broke his leg trying to jump off the middle rope in wcw like i don't know what he was thinking it's hilarious to go back and watch and i thought it was funny that they even showed it in this so make sure you go back and check that out and we also get an interview with Rick the Model Martel with uh, Sean Mooney. And he doesn't really say too much except for talking about his arrogance and what he's going to do in the next match. And then if you guys are watching the show, you'll notice at this part right here, this is when the show starts to take a little bit of a nosedive. And you'll see why, and I'll explain throughout my review. The next match we have is the Model Rick Martel versus Tatanka. And... Rick the Model Martel, like I said, was interviewed before, and during that, Tatanka had a kind of a special ring entrance with his tribe in the ring dancing, and that was cool. Tatanka got a special entrance, but this wasn't much of a match. It was a basic match, and this match was meant to establish Tatanka. He wins with a plain crossbody in about four and a half minutes. I give it a C-. minus. I get what it was supposed to do, and I understand what Tatanka was meaning to the company at that time. I believe he had an undefeated streak, and he hadn't lost yet. So very cool for Tatanka. Uh, wish I could have seen a little bit more. But I always like both of these guys, and they did solid work for the amount of time that they had. All right, guys. So we get an interview backstage once again with Money, Inc. and the Natural Disasters. Classic, like I said, 80s interview. And they're yelling about their WWF tag title match. And uh, it's just what you expected. So, Money, Inc. is a team that consists of Ted DiBiase and IRS, also known as Erwin R. Scheister, who is Mike Rotunda, who is Bray Wyatt and Bo Dallas' father, if you didn't know. Um, and they're facing the natural disasters, which are Earthquake and Typhoon. Now, here's how the storyline is set up, and this is the, probably the only part in this match where I'm going to laugh. Uh, the natural disasters were formerly managed by Jimmy Hart, and they were heels. Well, what happened that turned them babyface? Well, they turned face after Jimmy Hart sold the Natural Disasters rematch clause to Money, Inc. And I, I don't know why I think that's so funny, but 
he basically sold them out for money and they turned face because of it. Now, the issue with this match is it goes on way too long for both teams and natural disasters, especially Typhoon, with all due respect, he couldn't carry this match for that long. Like, it went on a little too long and I think if they would have shaved a few minutes off, it would have been better. But the finish is IRS looks like he's in trouble and Typhoon hits a big splash. Earthquake is setting up for his finisher, jumping all around the guy. And he's going for his uh, sit-out, like where he sits on the guy. And Jimmy Hart is thrown in the ring by DiBiase to pull Erwin Arshyster out. They go out, they grab the belts, they lose via countout. So I sat there and watched that match for the whole time for a countout. Not particularly my favorite type of finish. But I guess back in the day, WWE thought it would get them heat. So, eh. Eh. Not really a fan of it. I found this to be very disappointing. I gave this a grade of a D. And not only was it disappointing, but I felt like this was the Legion of Doom spot where they could have won the tag team titles. And I think WWE missed out on this opportunity as well. And you're going to see that become the recurring theme later on in this show. So we go backstage where we have Brutus the Barber Beefcake being interviewed by Sean Mooney. And he's basically giving his thoughts on Hulk Hogan and his big main event match tonight. And if Hulk Hogan's last match is going to happen tonight. Which we'll talk about more right before the main event after this. Now our next match is Skinner versus the Rocket Owen Hart. Owen Hart comes out and Owen Hart was known as a very good prospect at this time but he was stuck in like the lower card he hadn't hit his peak yet so owen hart is entering the ring he does a backflip to get in the ring as soon as he turns around skinner is absolutely vile and disgusting and he spits his chew right in owen's face and i just thought why is there so much spitting in people's face on this card um there's a little bit of a beatdown. skinner ends up hitting his reverse ddt on owen owen kicks out at two now, they saved a lot of kickouts for WrestleMania because this was such a special event. But normally back then, if you someone hit their finisher, it was over. There wasn't any kicking out like there is today. Skinner basically thinks that he throws Owen over the top rope, but Owen hangs on, skims the cat, and gets back into the ring. And Owen pins Skinner with an O'Connor roll. One, two, three. Short match, and I basically just gave it a D for a grade because you really didn't get too much into it. and. It was what it was. Once again, we're backstage with Mean Gene Okerlund, and he's doing an interview with Sid Justice. Now, Sid's doing his usual, I'm going to end Hulkamania, I'm the baddest man, yada, yada, yada stuff. And he basically tells Mean Gene that he's going to end Hulkamania. We then cut into some highlights of Hulk Hogan and Vince McMahon having an interview where Vince McMahon is basically stating the same thing Brutus did. Is this the last time we're going to see Hulk Hogan in the ring? Hulk Hogan has moved into movies and different things now. Is he still going to be wrestling? And Vince McMahon gave this interview, and Hogan gives these answers that makes you wonder a little bit, but little do we know, Hogan goes on to win eight more world championships after this, so there's no worry, guys. Surprise, right? So Hulk Hogan versus Sid Justice with Dr. Harvey Whippleman. Sid attacks Hogan while his entrance music is playing, and he still has his shirt on and everything else. Well, Hogan winds up making his comeback even in the beginning of the match while his music plays, and he ends up ripping the shirt off. Very good way to start off the match, whoever booked that. I like that. Now, this is your typical Hogan match with test of strengths, 
body slams, lots of clubbing blows to the back, different things like that. Now, Sid looked pretty strong in this match, minus until we get to this part. Hulk Hogan kicked out of a choke slam and a power bomb from Sid. Surprised? Me either. So, Hulk Hogan's down after that, and he starts to Hulk up. And he's going in. He's ready to fight Sid. He's doing the no, you, points at him, and starts pounding him. And he basically hits him with the big boot, body slam, leg drop. Now, the one problem with this match that a lot of people don't know this either is Papa Shango comes out and he ends up helping Sid after this. But he missed his cue here. Papa Shango was supposed to come out and break the pinfall up before the three count, but he messed up. So you'll see this awkward moment where Harvey Whippleman's on the ropes and he looks like he's going to get in the ring and Sid kicks out of the leg drop. And Hogan grabs him. The ref calls for the bell. After about two minutes of this, Papa Shango starts running out. And he comes out to help beat up on Hogan. And who do we have come out to make the save? No one but the Ultimate Warrior makes his return to the World Wrestling Federation. Warrior comes out running and you hear his music and the place erupts. And they go crazy for the Ultimate Warrior. And he's out there, and he's making the big save, nailing on both of the guys. He's basically throwing his fist too, and shaking the ropes. It's exactly what the people wanted. And they end WrestleMania with the Hulk Hogan Ultimate Warrior celebration, holding each other's hands up. That's how the baby faces always end it. Um, this match, I give a C minus two, and it would have been a D for the usual Hogan match here, but. What saved it was that ending with Ultimate Warrior, and I'll never forget that happening because I thought that was so cool as a kid. That was like my first big return that I ever saw. So it gets a C- for me for that match, and let's talk about the overall show next. Alright guys, let me give my final thoughts for this event. Um, if we go back and look at it, this was a decent show. Uh, it's a WrestleMania, like I said in the beginning, that I will always hold to my heart dearly. Now, that's because of me being a kid and then going back and watching it today. It still makes me smile just thinking of past things, and that's always cool as a wrestling fan. Now, I also see this double main event as a huge blunder that they messed up and they could have had different. Was it awesome to get Ric Flair versus Macho Man? Absolutely, and that's a match that they should have done later on down the line. But what was the real attraction for this, guys? It should have been Hulk Hogan versus Ric Flair. Even as a kid, I thought that was going to be the main event after Flair won the WWF title in the Royal Rumble. <sighs> Such a hard thing to uh, think about. But in my opinion, the WWE missed out on two huge matches with Hulk Hogan in their times. In 1992 at WrestleMania 8, Hulk Hogan versus Ric Flair I think would have been a money match. And also in 2002, Hulk Hogan versus Stone Cold Steve Austin was another match that they could have done and made a lot of money with, and they never did either of those matches in the company on a pay-per-view. I know that Hogan and Flair fought on house shows, but it's not pay-per-view, man. Uh, in my opinion, setting up those matches were layups, and Vince McMahon missed them. Um, I wonder if today he regrets him missing out on this. you got to think of the opportunity cost by not doing these matches. How much money did he cost himself? And I wonder if he kicks himself for that. Once again, guys, this show will always be special to me. It's a very special WrestleMania that I hold near and dear to my heart. And 
the reason is that I think this WrestleMania is forgotten about because of some of the crappier matches on the card. But overall, I think it's a good show, and that's why I'm giving it the overall show grade of a C+. Thank you for listening to Everything Pro Wrestling. I greatly appreciate every single one of you who listen to my show each and every week. And if you guys have a topic or an idea that you want me to talk about, shoot me a message or leave me a comment on this video, and I'll be sure to check it out. Check out all the social media links in the description above. And I appreciate all of you guys. This is Everything Pro Wrestling. We are out.